Hello? Hello and welcome to the Disney Vault cast, the show that examines every single movie in the Disney Vault. This week, we are not talking about a movie, but rather the 1995 short, Runaway Brain. Oh, I don't feel like myself. Oh my gosh, I love myself! I am your host, Aiden Simons, and just like Mickey, I got too caught up playing video games to remember my anniversary. And who is here with me this week? Hi, I'm Lucas White. Um an editor at Prima Games. That's kind of all my clout in one bucket. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. You just worked on like the Scott Pilgrim guide, which is pretty cool. That is cool. It doesn't exist yet, but the the words are out in the void somewhere. Well, we can talk more about that when we talk about our plugs if we want, but sure. um yeah, this short um a really interesting pit when you like brought this idea to talk about it with me i was like that's super cool this is kind of like what i wanted to do when i started this show is just kind of talk about all the weird corners of disney and obviously like the big ones the one you expect but also the weird like the just when disney takes more risky and more chances and kind of just goes out there and i this is like i was really excited when you brought this up to me yeah definitely this is like the kind of thing that uh, you either know about it because you were there or you're the kind of person who sits there and and reads wikipedia for hours just to figure out like what you know what skeletons are buried in mickey mouse's closet and apparently this gets treated like one i'm going to talk about it in a second but i am the latter of that i um this was something i just like you said disney does not doesn't make it easy to watch this so it's actually my first time watching it but um we're going to talk about, yeah, our histories with it, but why did you pick Runaway Brain in particular? Like, what about it spoke to you? So, anytime I, like, have a passing thought about, like, Mickey Mouse or something, I, there's always this, like, image of uh, the the monster, monsterfied Mickey, uh, like, like running into uh, the, uh, the surf shop where many is, and that... that like two seconds is just like in my head forever and i'm not entirely sure why but whenever whenever disney comes up i'm always like runway brain let's go it's just like it's like a living in my head rent free and it has never left yeah i mean as we talk about later like disney like has tried to kind of like you know, reboot and revamp what Mickey Mouse is, but I don't, nothing has ever gone to the extreme that, like, yeah, like that monster Mickey, like his ears all rattled, like fang, just like the green skin. It's like, it really is like, it's kind of shocking what they did to Mickey Mouse in this. And I kind of get why, like, Disney kind of buries it, because, like, it really is just like, I feel like the farthest extreme you can go with a character like Mickey. It, it definitely left a lasting impression on me. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty like jaded and everything. And I did see this when I was a kid, but I I can imagine parents with children less like tuned into, you know, the like fantasy and, and, and sort of craft of like film just being absolutely terrified out of their minds. Even outside of the image of Mickey, there's just a lot of kind of dark imagery throughout this whole short that's like there's just a lot of like images i saw i was like oh oh i didn't expect to see that like just dr frank and i just like 
vaporizing and turning to dust. Yeah. I was like, dang. Oh, I forgot about that. I was I was watching it with my kid yesterday just to prepare, and that happened. And I was just, just kind of like looking at him like, I hope he's okay. <laughs> he didn't seem upset by it. Yeah, the, the, the kids, you know, they need a little little scare out there. You got to toughen them up. Absolutely. So um, I know you said you saw this when you were a kid, but what exactly is your history with this? Like, when did you first see it? Like, how did you stumble upon this? So I am convinced I saw it in a theater. And I say it like that because, like I was saying with that image of uh, Mickey coming into the shop, I, I just have this, like, really fuzzy recollection of seeing it in a theater. And I don't know... I don't know if it was like advertised in other movies or, or what, uh, because I got I got really confused when I looked at the history, and seeing it was attached to a kid in King Arthur's court. Is that right? Yes, a king, a king in Kid Arthur's court. Yeah, and I I know I knew of that movie, but I absolutely haven't seen it in theaters. And I've seen Goofy movie and Hercules in theaters, so. My theory is that either I caught I caught it at Hercules before they kind of had all the theaters like cut it out, or the theater I was I went to in Podunk, South Kakalaki, just the, they didn't bother cutting the film. So I'm pretty sure I saw it in front of Hercules. Okay, yeah, I mean, the who knows? Like with stuff related to our childhood, like you you have these memories, but like you're like. I know they're real, but you don't know the context of them. Like, I have those all the time. Um, for my history, I mean, like I said, I this is my first time seeing this. Uh, I, I feel like it just, just happened to be, like, when it came out versus when I was born. Like, I was born a year after this came out, so I clearly wasn't seeing it in theaters. And like we mentioned, and we'll get into a little more later, Disney right. kind of, they kind of buried it, but they also, like, they distanced themselves from it, so it's, like, I really had no way of seeing it, and if you didn't, like, hand me your movies anywhere, like, log in, I would not, I mean, I it's on daily motion, like, anything on the internet <laughs> is on daily motion, but I got, like, I seen the image of, right. like, Monster Mickey, because I'm some, I love, like, doing the wikipedia rabbit holes of like especially when it comes to like disney history i mean what a surprise considering the the show i'm doing right <laughs> um so i knew of it and then i just I, i've seen these images of this short but i never saw like the whole final product it was like one of those like elusive things that it's like oh the short that disney doesn't want you to see i mean not that extreme but it's just it always had this like weird air of mystery to me and then I, when i did watch it, i was like yeah like i said there are some dark images but i'm like oh that that's it that's like that's not that it's not that extreme yeah it's it's really awesome that i got this in front of you though um i think like the way just as i'm sitting here thinking about it and like the fuzziness of it my memories it's probably because like disney just sat on it mm -hmm. like they got rid of it uh from Hercules, I guess, was the last movie they attached it to. And then they just never did anything with it again for, like, what, 10, 20 years or something? Like, on that, on that DVD set was, like, the only... Yeah. Yeah. And they just don't... It was also in a GameCube game, but we can probably talk about that Oh, Oh, I, I, we need to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just, like... 
it's not even like there's barely any like coverage of it anywhere. Nobody talks about it that much. You know, the daily motion upload you talked about, you know, looks like crap, but there's no, it's, it was so hard to find this movie. I didn't even know I had it right. Movies anywhere. Um, it came with that, uh, Blu-ray of the short movie collection. Mm -hmm. It is not mentioned anywhere on the package. It's, it's not like in the little code that you redeem, like there is no indication. And if you don't have movies anywhere specifically, it's just gone. Yeah, it's buried under the extras, but specifically in movies anywhere, not even in the DVD. Yeah, I, I even pulled up Vudu because that's kind of where I've, I've been going because everything like ultraviolet shut down and stuff. And it's just it, not even a space for it. It's just like, here's your short films collection. It's 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 weird. <laughs> yeah, like you know Disney doesn't want you to see something when they don't put it on Disney Plus because they they own literally everything on there. So like they, right. they they can put whatever they want on there and if they don't put it on there like you that's like oh yeah, they don't want you to see this. Yeah, and um maybe it also has something to do with the time period it came out. But that's just mm -hmm. that's just me maybe looking too far into it. <laughs> There's also a genuine chance that, like, with a company as big as Disney, there's probably people who just don't even know what this thing is. <laughs> Everyone with the power to release it has just never heard of it. Yeah, it just has to be, like, some lowly employee just, like, sneaking into the servers, going rogue, and just uploading it. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, whatever it takes. So I get into this history of this film. I mean, we, this is the first Mickey adjacent project I've talked about. Probably one of the few I'll actually talk about. So gonna try to condense the history of Mickey Mouse. There's there's over 90 years of history there, but you know, condense it as much as possible while kind of like forming a narrative that like leads up to like the genesis of Runaway Brain. Um, of course, Mickey Mouse created in 1928 by Walt Disney after he lost the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Everyone knows that story. Everyone knows like he debuted with Steamboat Willie, which technically wasn't the first cartoon made but it was the first release and that's what disney considers mickey mouse's debut and he was immediately popular after that disney kept creating shorts after that his popularity skyrocketed throughout the 1920s and 1930s going from black and white to color all that um notably like something that is i don't know if you've seen if you've liked the album to these shorts ever but mickey really isn't portrayed as like the out and out good guy that he is today oh he is a terrible terrible person in some of these cartoons I, I have actually seen some like he he's like there's a whole episode where he's being uh, he's like fighting indians and gloating about it he's like just so stoked one, about pointing yikes. literal firearms at native americans <laughs> that's the whole point of the episode oh man uh there's there's other ones where he are uh, the gorilla one, I can't remember the name of it, but like he, he goes after the gorilla with a pistol. Uh, there's the one where he's like drinking in a saloon and he's just, it's weird seeing Mickey Mouse do so many crimes. 
Yeah, I mean, I just dabbled in um, when I was watching this. I didn't go through the entire rabbit hole, but I watched um, Steamboat Willie. And even then, like, that's definitely more of an innocent portrayal of him. But he's just like, he's just like kind of a slacker. who just wants to play music with his animal friends and just impress Minnie. He just wants, like, you can see the correlation between the Mickey of then and today, but it's like almost a completely different character. Yeah, and and that's probably mostly because that's kind of like what cartoons were back then. You know, you had yeah. you had the early Looney Tunes stuff, and everyone was just sort of like, it seems like the best route to having excuses to do weird things with our drawings is to have our characters act like jerks. <laughs> yeah, and um, as we'll get into in a second, that's kind of the conundrum Mickey began to face himself. Like, he became more and more popular, and as happens with cart- popular cartoons, children especially began to, like, idolize him and he began to see, he began to be seen as like kind of a role model and because of that the animators kind of started to find it more difficult to involve these gags involving mickey where especially in danger or causing danger and as this was happening other disney characters in mickey's periphery were coming up like donald duck and goofy and these were the characters that animators were more willing to play with because with I mean, Donald is just has a huge temper, gets angry at everything, and Goofy is just unbelievably stupid and causes all this, just just causes everything to go wrong. And then you kind of have Mickey, who's, he's not the corporate mascot he will become, but he's slowly starting to morph into that. Yeah, and he he usually kind of plays like the normal person or the straight man, right? He's, He's there not as like a proxy for the viewer but as the like incorruptible presence mickey's here so you know you can you can see him freaking out about all the other nonsense going on about him and that way they can put him on cereal boxes yeah he's like the moral compass or just the leader of the group but besides that he doesn't really have a discernible trait or personality to him and this is also kind of correlates with the redesign of mickey obviously we have the original design that's him with black with a white face black dots for eyes but as we get to the 1930s we start to see him we start to see him with the flesh tone and like the white eyes with black pupils and so he's slowly transforming into like the corporate mascot mickey um the of course, this correlated with his most famous appearance in Fantasia as a Sorcerer's Apprentice. Sorcerer Mickey is just one of those, probably, um, maybe not his most iconic look, but, but definitely up there in terms of when you think of Mickey, this is what you think of. And that actually kind of was a swan song of sorts, because after that, he his appearances in shorts began to peter off. Um, he really was only in a handful of shorts throughout the 1940s, and even then it was more of a supporting role and and by this point mickey became more famous for his tv roles he began really popping up in tv most famously the mickey mouse club where he was the leader of a group of innocent young children who participated in skits and all that and this just further just eroded that rebellious personality now he's just good guy mickey who's a friend to children and it's like mickey wouldn't hurt you mickey's a good guy that's like his I mean, that is his personality trait, is that he's good. And he uh, he spent pretty much the entirety of the 60s and 70s just on TV. Mm-hmm. And which is kind of ironic, I just go on tangent, that when Michael Eisner really pushed, I mean, I see your Darkwing Duck shirt, when 
um michael eisner began to like push tv he was like mickey's off limits you can't use mickey in tv he's our he's our guy but like that kind of was his bread and butter for the longest time and with a character that's existed as long as mickey mouse inevitably you're gonna have to kind of try to rebrand him or like do something new with him just to keep interest alive in the character and Mm. This is definitely an extreme example, but it's just when, yeah, when you've been around for almost 100 years, you're going to have to try something different. And so we now are up to the 90s where the production of this short has begun. It was animated by the Paris Disney Studio, which was wrapping up work on a goofy movie. Apparently, this was kind of used as a test because they were going to absorb the French studio into the animation department. Uh, Sadly, the French animation department closed only a few years later in 2003, but they worked on a mix of feature, direct-to-video, and TV animation. I looked at their list of projects. They worked on a lot of stuff from like Hunchback of Notre Dame to... I completely blanked on one, but... Yeah, I mean, it looks like um, Paris Studio was pretty involved with a lot just from like outsourcing. Mm -hmm. It, It seemed like Disney would take one studio and that would be like the lead and then they just sort of shotgun out any extra work that needed to be done yeah but it looks like paris really was like a higher up the ladder in, in the 90s yeah they never got to do like I, I don't think they ever got to do like a project that was like their project like other mm-hmm. studios but yeah they were kind of like a support group and like a lot of ways um this kind of was seen as like they're okay you're you're getting you're getting the big guy you're getting mickey mouse like this is your test to see like if you're worthy of joining the disney ranks (laughs) that's your first shot yeah so all they had was just okay we're making a mickey short but what do we do like what where can you go the character like mickey really can just do anything and someone threw out the idea of a frankenstein parody and we have a concept and just go on from there and they ran with it you can't say they didn't run with it (laughs) they really did so some for some people involved in this short uh we have the director of the short which is chris bailey and as almost anyone in the animation industry who's notable for he graduated from cal arts mm-hmm. prior to joining disney he worked with former disney animator don bluth on the iconic video games dragon's lair and space ace i'm, I'm sure you know about them yeah the uh, the infamous press one button originator of QuickTime events yes i you know he had his hand in those iconic death scenes (laughs) yeah and and, you know um that's actually a good thing to bring up because of the way the uh the doctor dies oh yeah um whatever dragon's lair man his name is i couldn't tell you i've never i've never played the game i've only seen i've only seen clips of it dirk dirk the daring yes okay yeah um like those those animations were really elaborate just because they were able to do that with a barely interactive video game. So you'd have stuff like Dirk would get hit by like fire or acid or something and he'd turn into a skeleton and they'd have all the frames of animation kind of making it collapse and looking very, very detailed. Yeah. 
um, because you were supposed to be sitting there like screaming mm-hmm. at the uh, you know the one frame you had to succeed whatever that uh, prompt was. It really kind of dawned on me that this short really has a lot of like eighties animation flair to like vibe to it, especially like Disney in the eighties animation. It really kind of gives me off like Black Cauldron vibes in a way, just like how dark it is, which I don't like that movie at all. But it's just kind of similar with like, and like you said with Dragon's Lair, like, I feel like eight, animation in the eighties was more willing to scare the audience, just out and out scares. Yeah, I mean, the the 80s overall, you have sort of like this period of excess, especially in America. Um, so, I mean, that's where you see things like Friday the 13th come into fruition. That's where you see uh, Batman start doing murders. Um, you know, every everything had to be like dark and over the yeah. top. And I, I guess... Maybe that kind of rubbed off on Disney, like they were trying to, you know, capitalize on like darker cartoons happening around it. Like professional wrestling was like at an all-time boom at mm-hmm. this time. It was very profitable to sort of try to violently subvert your uh, your character or whatever. Yeah. Um. Even like obviously, like I said, Mickey is a character that exists forever. But even. Disney, Disney really is unique as a studio because they're really the only major studio that has just like an identity and a brand. So I can imagine if you're working as much as like probably a great gig it is to work as a Disney animator. I, I can definitely see there being constraints and kind of you're wanting to experiment and seeing like how far can we take this project that's under the Disney name. And it was also like one of the last ones that Kotzenberg touched, wasn't it? Or or right after he left. I should have I should have looked this up. Let me look at when he left, because I only mentioned him once so far on this on this prod, on this podcast. Thank God. But you let's see when did he leave Disney? Oh he yeah he left in 1994 around yeah he left 1994. He joined he founded DreamWorks in 1994. So yeah he must have had some sort of involvement in this project yeah and um i mean i don't know if i'm getting ahead too much but there is like a little reference to him at one point Mm -hmm. um so it, it you know that could be his people and it seemed like he was kind of really good at stirring the pot there so maybe it's part of it yeah i definitely um i mean it's clear that like i mean tatsenberg definitely isn't was not the most popular person in the Disney company. So I can imagine that they would want to get any reference they could just to vent, probably like vent out any, whatever feelings they have towards him. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe Disney was just like, uh, leftover crap from this guy. We'll just throw it out and then never talk about it again. Get, get the, get the bare minimum of what we need to, you know, make our money back or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. in the trash. (laughs) <laughs> if only they did that with Quibi in the trash. <laughs> Chris Bailey also was animation director on Paul Abdul's Opposite Attract music video, which is iconic because of its use of the MC Scat Cat character. Um, but then he joined Disney where he was a character animator on some of Disney's most popular and iconic films like Little Mermaid, Lion King, Hercules. Also, another notable project he directed was the It's Tough to Be a Bug theme park attraction, which is based off of Bug's Life. It is a 3D film where you shrink to the size of a bug, and it's 
one of the scariest attractions in a Disney park. It's not like super scary, but I don't know if you've seen it or been to Disney World, but it is I it's definitely one of another one of those things that it's kind of like, oh, this is a Disney thing. This is kind of a little shocking for Disney. Yeah, um maybe this guy specifically um was also interested in uh that kind of subversion um just looking at his filmography you know he goes on to do clerks after that um and it's like until you get to kim possible you've got him in the director's chair for stuff that didn't really like take off because it was you know weird or something yeah definitely yeah yeah so like you mentioned he did transition to disney animation where he directed episodes of clerks and kim possible so he definitely was in the Disney bubble for a long time before leaving just or maybe he was just like kind of a more of a freelancer but um he he followed up on this by serving as animation supervisor on some wonderful live action animated hybrid films like the Garfield films the first two Alvin the Chipmunks movies and Hop so that era of CG live action animated hybrids that we tragically lived through he was a big part of it it's the, it's the, I want to go back to work, but I don't want to work. So I'll just do these and collect a paycheck. That, that's what that says to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure he got paid oh, well yeah. for them. I, mean, I think all these movies made money. I mean, I definitely the Alvin the Chipmunks movies made money. And sometimes you just got to work for the paycheck. Exactly. Um, according to IMDb, his most recent work has been a producer on Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, which is kind of a update of the scooby-doo movies where they team up with a different celebrity every episode um i've only seen a few episodes of it despite being a big scooby-doo fan i do not have boomerang so i have not watched much of it but it seems fun um it seems like a good gig i mean scooby-doo it's kind of you know there's always going to be a scooby-doo project so it's good employment and he's apparently working on a new garfield movie which i just didn't know was happening but i think this one's just going to be purely animated now that nickelodeon owns garfield sure you know why not garfield is like a cockroach he'll never go away i don't want to compare garfield to mickey mouse but he is like a mickey mouse character it's just the one of those characters that's just always gonna be there and there's always going to be something. He's like, he's like Walmart Mickey Mouse. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, no diss for Garfield, but he's he he'll always be there, no matter how hard we try. Exactly. Um, someone else I wanted to shout out was animator. I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Andreas Deja or Deja. Um, one of Disney's most notable and prominent animators from the '90s. Um, Polish-born, grew, grew up in Germany. He first started working with Disney on the aforementioned Black Cauldron, where he worked on characters like the Horned King, and despite not liking that movie at all, I do think it's one of Disney's best animated movies, best looking movies, and I really, I do love the Horned King as a design. I don't like his character or story, <laughs> but I think as a character, the way he moves is just so slowly and lurch, just lurching, and I, I mean... I'm I'm assuming, have you seen this movie? I actually haven't. I remember being really into the books at one point. Um, I don't remember a thing about them now, but for whatever reason, I just never came across this movie. Well, you don't really need to know 
anything about these books because from what I from what I understand that there's om- they're almost nothing like the books. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. I know people generally hate it. Yeah, I I think it has its fans, but I I watched it a few months ago and it's a it's not a good movie. Like it looks great. Um the animation team like was firing on all cylinders this one, but it's it's a mess. But he ended up working on better movies for Disney where he mostly sucked to animating villains, um, including Gaston, Jafar, and Scar, which are some of Disney's today even most high-profile villains. But even besides that, he's animated characters like Hercules, Lilo, King Triton, Roger Rabbit. So he's definitely like one of their, was one of their like top talent. Um, Last Disney project before leaving was 2011's criminally underrated Winnie the Pooh, where he was a supervising animator on the Tigger. Um, it seems he kind of he kind of just retired from Disney and after decades working there and is just kind of working on personal projects. But he also has a blog, a lot of interesting information. I got some backstory of this short from that blog. Um, I do think he's a good fit for this short, especially because of his work on villains, because the night, especially the villains of the ninety, kind of, they kind of toe the line between scary and funny, and I really think that's what Monster Mickey or Julius Mickey really represents, because he is a comedic character, but also like he is, he has that threatening presence to him. Like you don't know what he'll do if he gets his hands on Minnie. He he has a lot of movement to his animations in a way that like a lot of Disney characters i don't think have like you know his his hair's all matted and like when he's shaking his head around he's drooling and little you know his, his hair's moving and that's that really really stands out i've talked about this before but i definitely can see the animators having more fun when it is a villainous character because when you have a hero like you have to like they're obviously like can't let loose in the way that villains can like you kind of get to like just kind of like show your range just kind of like have fun with the character and i can definitely you can definitely see that in the way the villains are animated including the mickey going off that train of thought it's it's got to be pretty amazing to be able to do like a straight up villainous version of mickey like nobody nobody else has really done that before except for you know people that didn't like native americans in the 30s um and you know like like i was saying before this is like when uh I know it's a weird comparison, but wrestling started getting really popular, and it was getting popular because people were getting more into, like, the anti-hero type character, and the the people playing those characters were having a lot more fun and doing more creative stuff because those boundaries were gone. So, like, being like, oh, we're doing a drooling, slobbering, maniacal beastly version of mickey mouse that's like the opportunity of of a lifetime yeah for sure um i'm someone who does a lot of creative writing and i know everyone harps on like the endless slate of like reboots and remakes we get but for me i do really think it's really the idea of taking an iconic established property or character and kind of putting your own spin on it there is something really compelling to that idea and i can definitely see it being with like the iconic character like mickey mouse like being able to do a new take on it which is almost r- so rare with only happened like kind of a few times and especially in modern days like very less common i it's i got it's got to be pretty cool you can definitely see in the short that 
that he's having a lot of fun with this new take on Mickey. Definitely. Uh, That's like the whole vibe just seems to be like, we're just here to have a good time. Mm -hmm. We're going to ruin everything you like about Disney and, uh, you know, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, when a company's been around like Disney, it's gonna, it's it's inevitable, things are gonna be twisted and, you know, changed and, you know, maybe crushed, but that's kind of fun. Yeah, and like you were saying, like, the the villains this guy seemed to have been typecast into while he was, like, uh, you know, higher up the ladder at Disney, you know, there's some of the most, like, colorful and you know, distinctly drawn characters, uh, I think, in, in Disney. Definitely. I mean, there's a there's a reason Disney made a whole sub-brand of Disney villains. It's that because these characters are so fun yeah. and so unlike the um, archetypal Disney hero that is everywhere. Like, they, there's, there's a reason they create such a lasting impact. Basically, what we're saying is that this man is responsible for kingdom hearts existing i mean let's see a good number of those villains a good number of the villains in kingdom hearts are his are his babies so exactly i'm glad we made i can't believe we made it this far without mentioning kingdom hearts (laughs) i was looking for it i am working my way to the inevitable kingdom hearts episode of this i've got to establish myself a little more and establish this show but it's 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 happening not and like obviously not the whole series is going to know every game we're going to got to go in depth on every single game absolutely that's that's i'm looking forward to that for sure kingdom hearts is something i just sort of fell into for the past two years and i haven't climbed back out yet so and i've been i've been unfortunately been a fan the whole time so it goes tragic um <laughs> and speaking of stretching your limits with like an established iconic character um the voice cast it's it's all the mainstays of disney but since i have not mentioned them yet it's gotta shout them out here um first and foremost wayne allwine as mickey mouse um who took over the role in 1977 and only the third actor to portray mickey um first was walt disney second was i forgot to look but it was someone else and then then him he debuted as mickey in the new mickey mouse club and his first theatrical performance as mickey was in mickey's christmas carol and he voiced mickey all the way through 2009 when he tragically passed away and as of right now he is the longest serving voice of mickey and i yeah and so this is really when mickey became corporate mascot mickey which is why i think it's really fun that he got to do this specific short because i really think it showed his range as mickey in a way that you don't really get to do when you voice mickey mouse because it's always like it's always like part greetings or just like hi you folks it's mickey and or like kids preschool cartoons yeah and it, and it really seems like disney doesn't like to change its characters until you know it's absolutely necessary um so you know when you're mickey mouse you're mickey mouse for life and because of that, you get restricted, like you said. I mean, the, the guy that followed him kind of had to mimic what came before him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's certainly got his own touch to it, but, like, that voice isn't going to fundamentally change. Probably no. ever. <laughs> no. I mean, we've kind of kind of started to see kind of a shift in how Mickey's portrayed. Like, we'll talk about that later. But, yeah, 
Right. That's kind of like the conundrum with Mickey is that like he's both a character that you use in shorts and movies and TV shows, but he also is a mascot. And that's kind of that conundrum. Like you want to portray Mickey in all these shows and movies and he's obviously going to have to get in danger. But he also have to remember that this is the face of the biggest media conglomerate on the world. Right. You can use him, but don't touch him. Yeah. Also in the short is Rusi Taylor as Minnie Mouse, who began voicing Minnie in 1986, and probably a more prolific voice actor than her husband, Wayne Alwayne, the voice of Mickey. Um, also was the voice of Huey, Dewey, and Louie from the 1980s until the 2017 reboot, and I think she did another portrayal of them for the Mickey Mouse shorts, since that is more of a classic style of them. Also famous for countless roles in The Simpsons. Um, tragically, she passed away in 2019, but she is just like him. She is kind of, she was there as Minnie became kind of Mickey's equal. I'd say like at this point, I mean, obviously it's still Mickey on top, but Minnie is basically right there next to him when it comes to prominence in the Disney machine. Yeah, and the way Minnie is included in this thing is uncomfortable at times. I don't, I don't know if that's, like, unique to this cartoon or not, but, like, maybe we should come to this later, um, but, but, oh my goodness. Minnie very much is a damsel in this, and what is also that question of, like, oh, like, what would this monster do with Minnie if he found her? Thankfully, like, she's become a more active character in the decades since, but yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of screwing that line between, oh, it's a little, little weird. They, like, do a Lola Bunny with her, sort of. Timely reference. At one point. And it's just... I don't know. You 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 expect that kind of thing, I guess. But for some reason, with Minnie Mouse being like, Oh, I wonder what Mickey's gonna think of this tiny bikini later. And it's just like... Eh. <laughs> As opposed to a character like Lola Bunny, who is introduced, I mean, also a character of the 90s, like she's a much more recent, modern character than Minnie, but she's introduced right at the start as this active character who's like very much in control of the situations, while Minnie was more this passive, innocent character. And it's still, even though she has become more of an active presence, she still has that like um, innocent presence about her, which makes things even more little like, ugh. Yeah, I, I I really wasn't expecting like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse sex jokes. That's just that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, moving on from that. Yeah. Uh, we also have Jim Cummings as Julius, uh, one other perennial Disney voice, probably most famous for his voices of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, but he is also the voice of Peg Leg Pete, which obviously Julius is clearly based off of and this by design and voice i mean he's even if you don't know who this guy is you know his voice so he is absolutely 100 he's just one of those voice actors that's just that's just disney has his number in their book and like they'll just call him up like hey do this for us he is basically in everything like jim jim cummings is just like if if, if you look at his filmography it just goes on and on and on and on and on oh yeah I, you talked about this 
earlier but yeah disney is i think it's like they are really good about casting actors for their characters who will stay those characters um so like i mean the voice of mickey mouse is mickey mouse whether it's in mickey mouse clubhouse or kingdom hearts or anything i mean kind of i guess mickey mouse isn't a great example because now there are two voices of mickey but disney really does a good job of voicing characters who will they are those characters that's not like it's not like Woody where it's like, oh, we got Tom Hanks for the movies, but for everything else, it's Jim Hanks. Like they will cast actors who are those characters. And Jim Cummings is one of those guys. I mean, I think he's probably in like basically every Disney afternoon show. Like he's just, yeah, he's just one of those like constant presences. Like he doesn't have a huge role in this, but he it, like, he's not, he's not the most vocal in this movie, but I clearly like, even when you do hear him, it's like, Oh, I, I can clock that voice anywhere. Yeah. It's that kind of scratchy, uh, like fake Cajun kind of thing. Yeah. It has that Southern drawl, exactly. but like the like exaggerated Southern drawl. Yeah. There's a, there's an episode of, uh, uh, Rob Paulson's podcast, uh, with uh, Jim Cummings, and he basically explains the origin of that voice, and it's it's pretty wild. Okay, I guess I, I'll have to take a look on that, because it is like, how do people get these voices? Like, how do they stretch their voices to get to that point? Exactly. And, like, people like Bill Farmer, you know, he's been goofy forever. Mm-hmm, and um, Tony Anselmo, I think his name is Donald Duck, like... His, he's been putting his throat through all that for God knows how many decades. <laughs> and still, I mean, he's still doing it. Like, this is like a going on a tangent. But when I played Kingdom Hearts 3, I mean, Kingdom Hearts reference, ding. Um, I was like, especially with like with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, I was like, oh, are all these guys like, are they aging out of this role? Because like those performances, there's just something off about them. But then when you get to the new 2013 Mickey shorts, you're like, oh, no, they, they are still on point and even more so like they have so much more range with these shorts than they ever showed before so they're still kicking it if you're cast in a disney character like you you have a gig for life yeah i mean um speaking of rob paulson uh, he always makes the point that like it doesn't matter what you look like if you're a voice actor so your your career can just last forever as long as you know your your throat still works our and our final actor in this is kelsey Grammer as dr frank and ollie Frazier himself, um, his name clearly a Frankenstein reference, but also a reference to Frank and Ollie of the Nine Old Men, which were Walt Disney's core team of animators, his like his confidants, his top guys on the animation team. Um, this was released right in the middle of Frasier Mania in the mid '90s, and I mean, obviously Cheers as well. By this point, Kelsey Grammer was Sideshow Bob, which is probably still probably next to Frasier his most famous role, and. Only a few years later, he would voice Stinky Pete in Toy Story 2. So he, he does have that perfect, like, smarmy villain voice that even if you don't know the twist in Toy Story 2 that he is a villain, you can just kind of, like, hear his voice and be like, uh, something's up with this guy. And maybe it's, like, the Sideshow Bob that you know that, like, you associate that voice with Sideshow Bob. But he does have that perfect, like, dignified villain voice. Yeah, even when he's the lead, he's still a jerk. So yeah. he's just typecast forever i guess yeah i mean probably a reason for that but yeah without getting too much into yeah. the personal lives of these people yeah 
As mentioned, Runaway Brain, released on August 11th, 1995, attached to the film A Kid in King Arthur's Court, which, unlike you, I had never heard of, and I meant to check to see if it was on Disney+, Plus, but I didn't, so it might be on there, and maybe I'll watch it, and if it's not, you know that Disney does not want you to see it, because they're ashamed of it. Don't watch it, it's bad. <laughs> and I mean, just by its name, it's like the it it's like the most '90s name ever. It's like oh yeah, but it wasn't just attached to that film. Um, in international markets, it was attached to films like a Goofy movie, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Toy Story two, and at the time they weren't like shy of the film. They were showing it with like any movie they were releasing. Um, they were going to release it with the live action 101 Dalmatians, but Disney requested that theaters pulled it and they put more trailers for other Disney movies instead, which um, kind of foreshadows Disney's eventual distancing of this, where they're just like, you know, you're not going to show this. You're going to, we're going to promote new movies instead. It makes me think about where like little pieces of, of that might be still. Um, I used to work at a movie theater a long time ago and I've, I've kind of seen what they do to put those together and take stuff apart and they literally, they literally just take these giant spools of film and just take scissors to them and then tape it back together. And, uh, you know, there's, there's before everything went digital, you know, there were just little spools of film all over the place, especially if it was like a smaller, uh, less uh, trafficked movie theater. So, you know, I, I got to wonder if there's just like runaway brain in movie trailer film strip form like floating around somewhere just search on ebay search runaway brain negatives and see yeah. if they're anywhere i would not be surprised despite the mild controversy that we'll talk about later it was nominated for the oscar for best animated short alongside the courage the cowardly dog short chicken from outer space which is basically the first courage the cowardly dog product but both lost to the Wallace and gromit short a close shave which was quite good and deserving of its oscar but i do wonder if this film won the oscar if disney would have a little different attitude towards it's like this is our prestigious oscar winning short runaway brain yeah at that point they wouldn't really have a choice yeah because it's like that point it's like oh then you really just hate it because that movie's on public record forever yeah i mean it, it kind of is now just being nominated just makes it on... that, that's a good point that's weird it's so strange. Like, everything about this short is strange. Like, the short itself, the atmosphere around it, the context behind it, it's just, it's one of those things that I'm like, I just can't believe any of this is real. <laughs> There's so many, like, little silly Disney controversies I've heard about. And this one just has, or seems to have, just the least amount of information on it nobody talks about it yeah when you exist as long as a disney has like there's gonna be a million things that kind of just fall off the wayside i mean there's so many shorts that disney hasn't released just like this one but i think because of the probably the recency of it and how it is kind of a new take on the disney formula it's that's probably why it's more infamous because i mean like i said disney is the only major studio that has a specific brand to it and identity to it and when i think that for better or worse i mean that arguably they become so successful because of that but it also does create this thing this like kind of push and pull where it kind of restricts what you are able to create in that bubble right also like disney is one of the very few outfits that even like 
puts content like that or put past tense in front of movies uh, like Disney and Pixar shorts they're like the only thing I can think of that I've ever seen that wasn't you know trailers or whatever yeah and even I mean that just speaks I mean that is how Disney became the company it is today just by Walt Disney making shorts like Steamboat Willie and playing crazy and so I'd say, I mean, maybe you could argue a company like Warner Brothers, but I feel like, or Universal, but I feel like Disney is probably the studio that the most nostalgic of these, like they're the ones who are most referential to their past and what they've done in the past, where other companies kind of just like, they'll bring them out occasionally for tributes or kind of like even just ignore it. But Disney is very much about like, this is our heritage, this is our history. I mean, some of that is obviously, you know, through rose-colored glasses, but they are very much like a traditional company in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Especially now, you know, uh, with Disney Plus, I think one of the conversations when it was coming up was like, what are they going to put on it? You know, they don't, like they're Disney, but they don't have that much like content volume. Um. And, you know, they were like, oh, they're probably going to put a bunch of, like, weird old movies, which they did. But it's, it's surprising that there's still holes. Yeah. And I, I mean, and it makes sense. Like, you're not going to want to release everything at once. And also, like, I, like, when you're dealing with such a company with such a wide history and that's so big, inevitably some things are just going to be forgotten about. And I think that's why I like Disney Plus so much as opposed to other streaming services besides maybe like HBO Max now, but it is the one streaming service that really has like a historical context to it. Like you can watch old Mickey Mouse shorts and I feel like it probably has the largest library of films that are like pre-90s or pre-80s. Like you can just, you can really see the evolution of Disney on that service. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can talk about copyright law and how, how Mickey Mouse has kind of been the focal point of that but at the same time it's at least cool that like all of that work has been preserved as carefully as it has been Mm -hmm. and despite this short being well received and getting an oscar nomination it did receive controversy from more traditional disney fans because it is such a dark in tone and it really stretches the limits of what you can do with mickey mouse um some people were really against it um deja or deja again i don't know how to pronounce it i should have checked it but he recalled the story where he wore a jacket with the runaway brain mickey like monster mickey on it and a cast member said you, you shouldn't wear that that's offensive and inappropriate and they thought it was a bootleg jacket like not an official disney product so it just goes to show you like how stark this portrayal of mickey is compared to what we know of as mickey yeah i mean it's like we were talking about earlier with the sort of like unique factor of animated shorts in front of movies, it stands out. And in that environment in a movie theater, it's dark. The The movie itself is dark in terms of like its color palettes. It's loud. It is kind of macabre in some ways. Like, you know, that's that's got complaining parents written all over it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially when it's attached to like um, when it's attached to a movie like A Kid in King Arthur's Court, which, again, I don't know, but I got to imagine is very happy go lucky and jokey jokey. And there's a pop soundtrack to it. So probably like, oh, we're going to take our kid to see this movie. And then you just have, you know, a short that has Mickey Mouse with fangs and 
green skin. And uh, I'm sure more than one child was traumatized. Probably. Um, And perhaps because of the controversy related to this, Disney kind of has appeared to distance itself from this short, not out and out just like denying its existence but just kind of not acknowledging it it's only been released on home media twice one was part of a walt disney treasures dvd collection which just had a bunch of shorts on it and also like we mentioned the walt disney animation studios short film collection but not on the dvd only on the movies everywhere app and only as an extra that's underneath the film itself so like I said, it's not on Disney Plus. Um, you can watch it on like Daily Motion or even probably YouTube at this point. But it's one of those things that Disney just kind of just there's no basically at this point there's no official way to get your hands on it unless you already own those things in question. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure by now like that that code in that DVD or Blu-ray is expired. Um, and I've never really like needed to contact a production studio to be like hey can i get a new code because i bought this new they probably just tell you to go away i'm surprised like movies everywhere is still a thing i was too i thought it shut down but you know and it's such a weird tangled web of logins too because it's connected to voodoo it's connected to movies everywhere it's connected to walmart and like uh before ultraviolet shut down so yeah, it definitely like a miracle I was able to watch it in that high definition situation. I saw like your picture just watching it on the screen. I was like, here I am watching it on my computer. But I mean, still the same. I'm like, that's definitely like not, I mean, n- no way of watching it is the intended Disney way to watch it. But definitely one of the more harder ways to watch it. Yeah, and like there's no fanfare to it or anything, but it is like a really high quality you know, I don't know if they did any work on it or not, but it, you know, it's, it's a solid print. It's in high definition. You can see all kinds of detail and everything if your connection's good. It's just, it's a, it's a real shame that, you know, like, I know those DVD sets are really expensive secondhand. And obviously, no one's really cared enough about Runaway Brain to, like, pirate it in a high quality way so it it really is like i think in danger of vanishing maybe one of these days disney will surprise us because like there have been a few references here and there to this short and there has been some official merchandise release that kind of references it in recent years but the short itself so maybe like it's not that hard disney can just throw it on disney plus and just be like they don't even have to like promote it they can just be like they're like when they like their batch list of things that are come on just be like runaway brain that's it like they can just throw it on yeah. there just kind of like leave it for the people who want to watch it exactly you know if, if they release it like that you know only people who are looking for it would even know it was there um, unless they you know you know they'd have to like bury it because they don't want to put it um in the like mickey cartoon feature section where it kind of has them all in order they probably don't want to do that but there's there's something that they should be able to do it it's so weird that speaking of the runaway brain showing up in things the two instances of like cameo appearances are just both like Japanese, 
Um, and it's it's fascinating that that's what it took to see it like acknowledged. Yeah, I mean, not to like generalize a whole country of people, but Japan always has like I mean, obviously Japan loves Disney. They have a whole theme park there, and they really they kind of latch on to like as an audience latch on to like the more obscure Disney characters. I mean, um, I've seen like the, from, from the Aristocats, Marie from the Aristocats is like one of the most popular characters there. They are the reason that Duffy the Disney bear is a phenomenon. So like they, it, they are really just like the obscure characters. I mean, obviously they like the more popular characters from Disney, but I've seen spotlights shine on characters that, that Disney in America just would, would never acknowledge. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe uh, one day we'll have to thank uh, Tetsuya Nomura for uh, keeping Francis alive. You know, I really want to know how how that happened. We'll talk. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that later. But I want to know what led to that. You're here for the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, no, no. Don't be shy. It's not just a job. It's an adventure! I hate adventure! Perfect! You're hired! Let me introduce your co-worker. Well, now that we got through the history of both Mickey Mouse and the short itself, uh, it's now time to talk about the short itself. And it's it's only seven minutes, so there's not a ton to talk about, but it, they jam a lot into the seven minutes. Like, right. so much happens in just a short amount of time. It really just, like, it goes at, like, a breakneck pace. And I remember reading, like, in the blog post about it, he was worried that there would be too much happening in the short and it's just like they were just like go 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 we gotta like move on to the next plot point there's not a lot of moments of just sitting and standing and like breathing in all that's happening it's very like maniacally paced it, it is definitely something that was made in the mid 90s for sure mm -hmm. like constantly moving it's really loud mickey's a gamer mickey is a gamer that's right he lives in a society. It's interesting because this is clear. I mean, obviously a Frankenstein homage, but like Frankenstein is such a slow pace, like, like slow burn of a horror story that this one is just like the complete opposite of that. Yeah, they really fly through the bullet points um, as loudly as possible. And they, they cram a lot in there. And it seems like that's kind of all they needed like it doesn't overstay its welcome and it, it's like just detailed i think enough that you know you can still kind of retain it well i mean i don't think this is necessarily a story that could work as like a full 30 minute special but i could see, even see them expanding it to like maybe 15 or so minutes because you really can't get much of like mini thinking um monster mickey is mickey because like it's clear that it's not but i really feel like because it really just goes to like oh he sees minnie and then um mickey takes minnie and then they chase after it and then all that but i really think like they i think we could see even longer like where they kind of like sit on the horror of what happened to me to poor mickey yeah they could have done like a like a goku and captain ginyu thing where, where mickey has to kind of get used to being in that body for a while first i i don't i don't i don't understand the reference i know goku but i'll just take your word for it yeah it's, it's a body swap thing i mean honestly body swap um storylines are one of my favorite tropes in media i i find it so interesting i don't get tired of them and i'm surprised i mean maybe they there's something for farther back but i'm surprised it took this long for mickey to jump on the body swapping train and he's like the best at it too. 
Like, he is immediately an athlete in that big old body. <laughs> Dude, there's no adjustment. He's like, oh, I'm like seven feet tall or probably like more like 20 feet tall. And then like, okay, let's just, let's go. He can pick up Minnie and doesn't crush her or anything. He does, he's fine with his newfound strength. Yeah, he's, uh, he's like, I'm Spider-Man now, basically. It is cool to kind of see. I mean, we have seen Mickey as like an action hero before, but it is kind of cool to see the, while both Mickey as like, a demented monster but also kind of see him as like more of a hero a, an action hero in that way and i really i kind of mentioned it i this does kind of show the range of all wine's portrayal of mickey because it kind of he doesn't go like screaming like like you'll see in like later mickey cartoons but it kind of it does allow him to express his range in a way that even games like kingdom hearts doesn't really allow him to go definitely um you know you you really don't see mickey emoting that much um in other works he's always even even if he's like unhappy or something he's just kind of like and you know and this he's like grumbling and screaming and muttering under his breath and like getting angry it's you know it's it's a lot for mickey to go through when he doesn't usually yeah i think that's actually a great point would i'd even think about that like it allows Mickey to be emotional because, yeah, he obviously shows emotions like happiness, joy, sadness, but he doesn't go to the extremes of the emotions that this situation forces him to go in. And I think that is kind of um, that is kind of like the tragedy, not the tragedy, but that's kind of the trap you fall into when you Mickey becomes a mascot yeah. and like you're not really allowed to be emotional or expressive and i think that's part of why this this short is such a risk because by this point mickey is firmly like i mean this is peak michael eisner hanging out with mickey mouse this is like mickey is the face of a giant media company and to take him to such extremes i can i can see why this is like I, this definitely is a, a risky project Something I also, I mean, we kind of touched on it a bit, but I really love, like, the desaturated look of this. I'm not normally a fan of desaturated color schemes, but I think it really works for the tone that this one's going for. And something that I kind of noticed was that because the colors are so, like, washed out in this, Mickey's face, like, is less flesh tone and is more of the white that we get, like, with classic vintage Mickey, which I found, like, really interesting because this isn't, like, your flesh tone Mickey or a flesh tone Mickey short, like, that's with the mickey mouse club or hosting the house of mouse this is a more retro style mickey that is getting into situations i mean kind of like we we're talking about mickey in those 20s and 30s he wasn't a good guy and here he he forgets Minnie's anniversary because he's too busy playing video games so it really kind of is a throwback to classic mickey in that way yeah and, and tying that into what we were talking about with uh, the range of like the voice actor and stuff um they also took um you know, creative liberties with the Mickey, I guess, model. Um, you know, you have, like, the monster version, but then you also have Mickey, like, every time I noticed something, like, bad is happening or something something Mickey is doing that isn't Mickey-like, his eyes are drawn differently. So, like, when he's in gamer mode, he's got, like, large pupils and there's, like, shadows all over his eyes and they just look off, yeah. He looks like Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, when he's like upset about the the Hawaii trip being expensive, you kind of see those like extra lines around his irises that just kind of show he's flipping out. And then, you know, Mickey's body gets totally like corrupted, you know, when when it gets taken over. So it it was just like it kind of 
peters off a little bit towards the end, but you know, then you have the like color splash stuff where he's like all red and everything. And I think that kind of fits in there as well. Yeah, no, I definitely like, like, I mean, we talked about like when you get a chance to take this established character and put your own twist on it, like I can definitely see the animators and the production team wanting to like kind of see how far they can take Mickey. Like what can we do to Mickey that is so out of character, but also still recognizably Mickey. Like, obviously, you don't want to take mm-hmm. him to the point of no return where, like, he's not recognizable as Mickey, but you still want to be able to stretch what Mickey Mouse is as a character. Right. They kind of push the boundaries a little bit, but they still kind of find a way to fit it into a very familiar kind of story. Everything kind of follows what Mickey, other Mickey cartoons uh, follow as well. Like, the consternation over not having money, you know, the little sequence with Minnie, and then, like, uh, something bad happens and Mickey fixes it, blah, 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 blah. It, like, they, they took their liberties, but they did so, like, without kind of fundamentally messing with things. Yeah, and I think that's what is really interesting about this, because at the end of the day, it really is a, just a traditional Mickey short in its just pure structure. And it's like pure formula. I mean, what they do within it, like you said, is kind of twisted and dark and in some cases un-Disney-like. But there's nothing in the bones of this that is taking a giant leap when it comes to the Mickey Mouse filmography. Right. And maybe that's why it's just gone. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. And Isaiah's when I said earlier that I don't like the Black Cauldron, but I do like when Disney goes dark and kind of stretches the limits of what the Disney brand is. And I and I while I do like appreciate later efforts that they did with Mickey, I do wish we did see more of this almost scary Disney because I think the restraints that are placed on them just by the nature of being Disney does allow you to get even more creative and kind of makes these more scary moments more jarring and impactful. Yeah, and this is also kind of like peak Disney animation round two, right? Like you, you're yeah. not gonna see, you're not gonna see animation like that from Disney anymore, probably. No, and I especially like this is like I mean going going back to Jeffrey Katzenberg, like he very much wanted to stretch what a Disney animated film is. I mean he was all about making money and getting the Oscars, but he also really for better or worse, wanted to stretch the limits of what could make a Disney film. It's how we got films, again, for better or worse, like The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Pocahontas. And this was Disney, like, yeah, this was Disney at the top of its game, but not at the point where it is now, where it literally owns, like, a majority of entertainment properties. (laughs) Of everything. Yeah, this is just, like, a Disney that's, like, only a couple years from like the massive successes. I mean, this came out a year after The Lion King, which was for the longest time their most successful animated film. So it's not like they've been on top of the world at this point. It's just like they just got to that point. Yeah, it was like a like the high point of kind of a comeback period, though. Um, and you know, a couple of years later, you get like Hercules. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you know, you kind of see Disney abandon two D animation after that. So it's it's like a you know from like 1994 to like 1997 is a pretty distinct era I would say yeah and I think that any company that's been around as long as Disney is going to have its highs and lows and right. yeah and I think like when they're like getting to the high points is when they kind of are 
more experimental and more willing to risk what they are. They're, they're not at the point where they know this is what works, this is what we're going to stick to, this is what we know, but they're also not like we just need to make something that makes us money, anything for the love of God. They kind of, it's this weird like in-between period that they, I feel like is that they're maybe not their best products, but their most experimental products. Yeah, they were in the situation where they weren't quite making as much money, I guess, with well, even like dropping the money thing. Like Disney just wasn't a big property in the same way it was when like Lion King blew out. Like everyone oh, yeah. knew Disney, Mickey Mouse, blah, 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 but Disney wasn't like, you know, oh, it's the new Disney movie. We're going to drop everything and go see it. So, you know, they, it was a target what the leadership and stuff was going for was to like make Disney the, the animated, you know, juggernaut again. Um, and you know, a couple of years later it falls apart, but when they needed it, they, they put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. I mean, like, like we said, this is the year before was the Lion King, but this year was Pocahontas, which is probably still to this day, one of the most controversial Disney movies. Yeah. Even when you're at the top, you can just dramatically just, fall and and i will it'll be interesting to see how disney because obviously disney's taken a hit from the pandemic like most companies out there it will be interesting to see how they approach their films and products moving forward because now we have now we do have the disney plus streaming service which is less of a gamble when it comes to releasing films as it is releasing something to theater so maybe we will kind of see something that's a little more experimental from disney as this streaming service as it continues to like be such a success for the company. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you'll, you'll definitely see animated. I mean, they made the new DuckTales and and there's the, uh, the newer Mickey Mouse shorts, but those, you know, those are all like digitally animated with like kind of keyframes that are moving around and stuff. Um, the, the specific style that they had in the nineties that kind of fell apart, um, when they were making the Emperor's New Groove, sort of, like, you know, it wasn't that at first, but all those people are gone, and, like, that whole sort of, like, brain trust, I guess, is just not there anymore. Like, they transitioned away from drawing things by hand and totally went to CGI, and you know they're they're mixing it up more now, but like it was a uh, it was pretty like definitive, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. After a certain point. Yeah. No. I um I did an episode on Tangled, and we talked about that a little bit in the Tangled episode where the production of that film was about two D animators, like classic Disney animators, kind of grappling with making a three D film. But now, yeah, at this point. 3D is, and not even just for Disney, just for animation, animation industry in general, when it comes to films, 3D is the standard that is what people expect an animated film to be. Obviously, 2D animated films are still being made, but just at a smaller scale. So it is, is it even possible for for a company like Disney to make a project, a large scale project that is 2D animated anymore, just because of how the, in, how the industry itself has evolved? Exactly. I mean, if you if you watch, have you seen the Sweatbox? I haven't, but I want. I I because I I mean I can't wait till I inevitably get to the Emperor's New Groove episode because there right. there's gonna be so much to chew on. But yeah, I mean, basically, just their entire process broke down, mm-hmm. and you know it was a combination of different factors, but 
those kinds of movies took so long to make and yeah. were so like labor intensive and expensive that they just can't do that now and have the same kind of like output pace you know like everyone's like oh we need content 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 so you know disney's pushing stuff out really fast now but they, there's no way they'd be able to do that if they were like trying to make more princess and the frogs yeah and even that like it just seems like audiences don't want to see 2d animated films in theaters which is that too which is weird because they still will gladly watch movies like the little mermaid or the lion king on disney plus or just on reruns or something like that but they seem to not want to go to theaters to see these 2d films yeah there's that weird social stigma uh, like 2d animation just comes off as not interesting to the people buying the tickets um you know like g-rated movies are or have been for a while similar to r-rated movies and the, the the business was lower um, so having those CG cartoons, they're, they're cheaper to make, uh, you can kind of get away with being a little more crass, um, cause there's less risk and it just, for whatever reason, that's what people gravitate to. Yeah. And this is, I mean, you mentioned princess and the frog. It will be interesting because they did announce the, the princess and the frog TV show for Disney plus the series. Mm. So, I mean, I feel like that has to be a 2d animated project and that is made by the animation studio like they are they it is their main animation studio working on this these series so it will be interesting to see if this that kind of sparks maybe not a full-on comeback but a little a little comeback of 2d animation in that department yeah i, I actually had no idea that's really cool um yeah they announced they announced it like when they on their investors day when they announced like every project under the sun like that the uh, disney animation itself like they are making new series i think they're making like princess and the frog um uh they're making a big hero six show even though there was already one on disney channel um but i don't remember that but yeah so we'll be interested but that was the only 2d animated film that is getting a oh yeah i think it was like zootopia and moana so princess and the frog is like the only 2d film that is getting this ongoing series so it will be interesting to see what that looks like when it comes out yeah, I mean, if, if that's all they can really justify, but they're still getting, like, you know, work for people who appreciate 2D animation as, like, a form, uh, I guess, you know, you take what you can get. I mean, maybe this, maybe we'll eventually we'll see, um, since they are, they are, the studio is kind of expanding and diversifying what it makes maybe we will see like a smaller scale 2d animated film that is direct to disney plus because obviously they're very invested in the success of this platform so maybe that is something we'll see in the future yeah i mean it, it seems like the netflix model is kind of starting to pop a little bit so you probably won't see disney just throwing money at making you know original productions every five minutes but since it's all you know in-house uh, there's probably a way to make content like that uh, and have it still be like feasible basically what we're saying is we we just want disney to just be more creative and not, not more creative but more a little more experimental because they kind of have fallen to like a house style when it comes to their animation and you know things like this i think it's good for the animators too to kind of like 
flex your stuff and just not and show that you're not just doing this one specific thing right like you know you're you've got everyone who grew up on disney working at disney now so you've got people who want that kind of stuff to be around again so we'll see what happens now on to this short impact um i mean there has there isn't a ton in the terms of impact because like we said disney kind of buried the short but this was notably the last theatrically released Mickey Mouse short all the way until 2013 with Get a Horse, which I think was with Frozen. Yeah, 2013, I think. A very good short, which is much more harkens back to the classic Walt Disney style of animation. Um, but that did win the Oscar, so Mickey Mouse finally got his Oscar. I'm sure he had already had plenty of them. But yeah, this kind of marked an end for Mickey shorts in theaters. Even Get a Horse was kind of like a one-and-done thing, even though Disney is releasing shorts of their films now still. Um, this was like the last Mickey Mouse short, which, I mean, he's moved on to other things, and it's not like Mickey's gone away. And speaking of which, uh, like I said way back, Disney has attempted to kind of rebrand Mickey throughout the years and kind of make him less wholesome and more... I guess edgy is the right way to say it. Um, first of which was 2010's Epic Mickey for the Wii, which is made both as an attempt to reintroduce Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, which Disney recently acquired, and also to reintroduce Mickey's more rebellious and mischievous side. I mean, I don't know if you played the game, but Mickey basically causes the destruction of a whole universe in the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Epic Mickey's actually a really good example of the stuff we were talking about earlier with you know you can use mickey but don't you know bend him too much don't make him do things you know i i still remember when the the concept art for epic mickey started floating around and you had like that melting mechanical body horror goofy and you had like the island with all the you know derelict theme park things and it looked creepy it was like fallout mickey exactly so like everyone was interested and then it drops and it's you know it's still got interesting things happening in it and it's still got like a unique style for mickey but significantly significantly um, rounded edges compared to that concept art and yeah i can't say for sure but i feel like i read um comments from warren specter that that was part of literally what happened was like they were like whoa slow down dude you can't you can't melt Goofy. <laughs> Disney has this phrase in the company that they call brand integrity, which means like you can't veer too far off from what people expect from this brand, this specific brand. Mm-hmm. And both a good thing in that like it probably has contributed to like the success of their characters. But also, yeah, it is the constraint that like you can't do too much you can't you have to work in this box which sometimes can be beneficial but also sometimes can be to your detriment and like you said um this was directed by video game legend warren specter who is responsible for games like the series like system shock um this like had everything going for it to be 
a massive success for Disney. And this was a period when Disney was really pushing itself into the video game space. Like they they had, they had a whole division of studios that it owned itself. And yeah, like you said, the concept art of this game was this dark, twisted take on Disney. And I remember getting the Game Informer cover story on it and it just looked so cool. And then it came out and it was just, it was really like half-hearted you could see that they wanted to go to some dark places, but they just couldn't. And it also controlled horribly, and I I never finished it because <laughs> I was just frustrated with it. And this, I mean, going on a tangent, I think it probably has to do with it being on the Wii. I feel like that probably influenced it because we've seen some mature games on the Wii, but the Wii very much is like the family children's console of that generation. So I can definitely feel like that might have had an influence on it as well. Yeah, the, the Wii is definitely an interesting point in history. I mean, what what really did it was they leaned too far in the other direction. And it's not that, like, mm-hmm. oh, Nintendo didn't cater to hardcore gamers enough. It's just, like, people bought the Wii and none of the software mm-hmm. ever. So, you know, I bet, like, Epic Mickey was something, you know, in the works for a long time. Um, but by the time it came out, maybe the budget like got cut in half or something after they realized the uh, attach rate for the Wii was so bad. I think I remember when I was doing research, I think I remember reading that it actually wasn't even originally developed for the Wii. I think it was mm. um, it was 360 and PS3, but then they like they really liked the idea of using the, the Wii remote to paint the game that they had they couldn't reformat it to work with the wii's control scheme so i think someone was just like why don't we just make it for the wii from the ground up for the wii and that's how we got this oof yeah um it did get a sequel but that sequel flopped and eventually led to the closure of the developer junction point Mm -hmm. studio so that was a fleeting moment in mickey's history like that was supposed to be the grand reintroduction of mickey mouse that just kind of fizzled out yeah they really backpedaled with epic mickey 2 um, yeah it was back to just normal disney basically um in like tone and stuff and just it just nothing it backfired yeah and like they, they really did push it like they they wanted this to like i said this was when disney really wanted to be seen as a formidable force in the video game industry and that just it seemed like one bad thing happened after another that like led to the eventual just like crash of disney's video game yeah they went from put mickey on the wii to uh let's do skylanders three years too late no i mean i i'm a fan of disney infinity i i say it says i'm staring at like my line of disney infinity figures right game i never played but i love the figures (laughs) those are nice figures yeah and arguably a more successful attempt to kind of revamp mickey came in 2013 with the new mickey mouse shorts on disney channel and these are it's not about changing who mickey is but rather like taking the mickey we know in the modern day and kind of combining him with the 20s and 30s mickey mouse he's much more adventurous much more like he, they're more willing to focus on his negative traits while him still have him being a good guy the good guy leader that we know of him in the modern day and i think you said you've seen them but it's basically like disney's version of ren and stimpy and that style of cartoon like you i mean you even have like not as extreme as ren and stimpy but you have like the gross out gags like the hyper exaggerated characters that like 
just go on complete mental breakdowns. And I love the shorts so much. I think they're some of the best stuff Disney has ever done in modern days. And it's become a massive success for the company like in some ways like this this version of mickey is becoming like the definitive mickey like you see a more on promotional materials and you still see the classic mascots flesh tone mickey but this one especially i think for a younger audience that grew up on like that like watches disney channel i think this is becoming like the definitive portrayal of mickey it even has a different voice actor that's different from the established current voice of mickey because they wanted something that is more akin to Walt Disney and a voice that can go like to places that the guy they hired just probably can't go to because that's not why they hired him. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have watched a lot of these and like when I f- saw the first one, I was absolutely blown away. And and it's because mm-hmm. of that sort of Ren and Simpy is a pretty good comparison, but just completely hyperbolic, exaggerated, everyone's screaming you know it's it's violent they're they're being jerks to each other uh, like uh, mickey goes through so much horrible stuff in every episode it's it's really just like a really bizarrely huge um course correction back in the direction of runaway brain but comedy instead and just for whatever reason, Disney today was a little more adventurous, and this came out. And you've got stuff like, you get your melting zombie Goofy in this show. <laughs> Goofy in this show is like, he's deranged. Like, he is like, I know. and he's disgusting and like, too stupid to function. Like, it is like... If you, if you want an example of why this show is a parallel to Ren and Stimpy, like, Goofy is absolutely what you look at i mean he's like homeless and like crashing on mickey's couch at one point uh another time like i said he's like a zombie and he like mickey punches him off a cliff and he comes back as like a reconstructed spider creature that's like charging mickey down it's horrifying he's got like hair sticking out of his chin and his like stomach's out and they just made him as gross as they possibly can, and it's amazing. They also did, I don't know if you've seen it, but they did like, they they did two half-hour specials in this style. They did a Christmas and Halloween special, and the Christmas one is crazy because it's Donald and Daisy, and like, they have the whole duck family, like Huey, and Louie, Scrooge, Ludwig. Um, they need to go south for the winter because um, that's just what they birds do, and it turns out it's because Donald gets sick, and like gets this like winter fever or something and his body just starts like decaying like his beak like shatters and falls off and he like has to duct tape it back on all his feathers come off so he's just this like this like fleshy like blob that just like has a mental breakdown and like the gang like they have to like chase him and it's so i'm so like i'm really amazed that like disney does allow their mascot characters to be in situations like this and i'm like i'm i mean i'm so happy for it yeah i mean it definitely seemed to start as something like they weren't sure how it was gonna land Uh, i feel like i remember Mm -hmm. the way it was showing up on tv was in little tiny five minute chunks at really bizarre uh, times um you know of course it it's a hit and they just started rolling with it um but 
yeah, like the, it just gets it gets so gross sometimes. I mean, I, I remember just being floored, absolutely on the floor. Uh, there was a scene where Donald lays an egg. <laughs> it's just a, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't like Mickey inside the egg or something like that. It was it was so unbelievable that it was Disney content. <laughs> and I I think it's because this was a product of the tv animation mm-hmm. division which you know this was in the era where they got shows like gravity falls and even even phineas and ferb like and gravity falls kickstarted a whole bunch of other shows that we got like ducktales um, mm-hmm. the owl house amphibia all great shows that tv animation department i think i can't they had an executive i forgot the name of it but like he came he might he might even came from cartoon network but he was like i want to like revitalize disney animation on tv and this was a result of it and like yeah it's been a massive success so much so that like it even got its own theme park ride which is the first ever mickey mouse ride in a disney park and it's based on these shorts and like obviously with a theme park ride those are big investments that are gonna be there for years on years so this is like this even if the shorts end like Mm -hmm. that version of mickey is still going to be a presence in the theme parks absolutely it also seems like they've kind of been able to have their cake and eat it too with mickey um as a parent i am very well aware of what disney is doing with the other side of mickey mouse um oh yeah yeah, so they've they've got like multiple i don't even know if they like are still making episodes not they're just existing forever but they're doing like like uh you know kindergarten age kids content with mickey and that stuff is huge and it's like really cheaply animated it looks awful but they sell all the toys and you know like that show was all over netflix at one point um there's like like a wacky races kind of gimmick going on and that just seems to like splitting mickey into two seems to have really worked for sure like you have like yeah that flesh-toned mickey that's on the shows like mickey mouse clubhouse and like can act as the mascot of the company and he's the one you meet in the disney parks and like but then yeah mm-hmm. you have your more hyper mickey mouse from the shorts that like they just introduced a new batch of shorts on disney plus so clearly disney is invested in this version of mickey too so yeah maybe that might have been the solution all along was to just create different versions of mickey there doesn't necessarily need to be one definitive mickey with a character like mickey mouse it's like the scooby-doo you can have multiple versions of the character at once and it's not like i mean it's still mickey mouse at the end of the day like the same traits are going to be there and like he's Mm -hmm. still gonna be recognizable yeah exactly and like it's definitely a result of like changing mediums and technology and stuff Mm -hmm. you know we there was just no way something like runaway brain was gonna happen again um on a on a theater screen Uh, even even these new mickey shorts with how gross and just ridiculous and creepy they can be um they were only able to even try it because they were like little short cartoons made with very very digital like tweened animation and stuff so but it worked 
<laughs> I mean, the fact that you could watch all the shorts just on YouTube just shows that these were made to like, because like, obvi- obviously kids nowadays, like younger and younger are getting on smartphones. So these are shorts made for the smartphone generation. Maybe they had to make it like so fast paced because of just the world we live in with our media. Absolutely. You you have to constantly be producing content that has to keep your attention at all times and it has to be bingeable and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And these are definitely bingeable. I could watch I could watch so many of them in one sitting. I'm pretty sure I have. <laughs> oh man, I love those things. Yeah, I know, me too. I might watch them after this, but but until then, um one more thing. Uh in the weirdest turn of events Julius from the short, as we know, the Pete figure, the monster, is in Kingdom Hearts. He is Kingdom Hearts canon as a, well, I guess maybe not canon, but he is a secret boss in the 3DS game Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. Um, I have not fought him because I don't mess with the secret bosses because I don't have that kind of patience. And like, there's no story to it or anything. You just go to a section, I think, in Traverse Town and he just shows up and you fight him. Like, there's no explanation at all. Right. It's the Kingdom Hearts way. But yeah, it's it's weird to just grab that character without any context. Yeah, because I think this is the only, also the only secret boss that is a Disney character too, because they're all either Final Fantasy, oh. like Sephiroth, or uh-huh. original characters. Okay, that is interesting. I, had, I, I don't mess with the secret bosses either. I, my brain will not let me spend that long yeah. in a video game, but... No. Um, I, I had no idea all the secret bosses were square uh, in-house people. That's interesting. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure. Because yeah, I mean, obviously Sephiroth is the most famous, but then you, yeah, you, then you got like other characters that I'm pretty sure this is the only. Okay, no, it's not really a secret boss, but yeah, I think this might be the only Disney character who is a secret boss. So it just. It's really interesting. Like, I don't want to go into Tetsuya Nomura's brain because I'm scared of what's in there, but I want to go into his brain and see, like, how this happened. I think, being in the position I'm in, though, I'm going to try to ask him about Julius. I'm just going to sneak it in next time I get some kind of Square Enix contact going on. Like, let me just ask one question that isn't about whatever... Kingdom Hearts spinoff around now. Just let me get one extra question, and and I gotta I gotta figure out how Julius ended up in a video game. I know I'm I'm on the Kingdom Hearts wiki now. Maybe that no, there's literally nothing. Yeah, so I don't know. Whenever, whenever Kingdom Hearts, whatever Kingdom Hearts game is coming to the Switch or whatever, I don't know. But we we need to solve this mystery. Absolutely. And uh, just something to throw in since uh, we've pretty much covered everything, but uh, Runaway Brain did show up in another game um, on the GameCube. Now, this game is it's a Magical Mirror starring Mickey Mouse. Okay, I've never played it, but I am familiar with it. Yeah, it, is, uh, it was actually developed by Capcom. Uh, in in Japan, it's not like the other Capcom games that people actually like. It's it's like a point and click kind of deal, uh, almost like Pac Man Two, if you've ever played that. 
So basically Mickey's kind of going about his business and you sort of direct him to do things and he'll like get mad at you and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, there is a part of the game called TV time and Mickey will go and watch TV and it'll play clips of different cartoons. Um, and you know, steamboat, steamboat Willie is obviously there. Yes. Prince of the pauper Christmas Carol, but runaway brain is also, included (laughs) for some reason in this very very family friendly mickey mouse video game (laughs) um that doesn't even have like combat in it really yeah just some you just give your like your six-year-old this mickey mouse game here here bobby have a fun time and then you just see deranged mickey yeah, I mean, that's definitely a game that, like, nobody remembers existing, for sure. But, you know, it's almost more weird than a Kingdom Hearts boss. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I I mean, Mickey Mouse is, like, a surprisingly deep video game history. But, I, yeah, this was a game I knew of. I never had a GameCube, tragically. So, I never played it. But I never knew it was a point-and-click video game. Like, I'm just learning this now. I thought it was just, some, like, some platformer adventure game. So maybe Japan is a fan of Runaway Brain and maybe there's just a whole section of Runaway Brain merchandise in Japan. And let me, now that I'm on that topic, because I think, yeah, so Disney's kind of been more willing to acknowledge Runaway Brain. I mean, only one I can really think of is they made, I don't know if you if you know their Vinylmation figures if you've heard of them Mm -mm. so there's like this big thing i don't know if they're still making them they might but this was especially when like the peak blind box era of toys right um Mm. they're little like vinyl figures that are like three inches tall and they're in the shape of mickey mouse and they come in different colors and like some are more abstract like you'll get like your jungle cruise one that has like elephants like shooting water but some are like literally characters like you got like your cinderella one like i'm staring at my hideous cinderella one that i got as a joke (laughs) <laughs> um, it's just yeah try, it's just try to imagine a, a vinyl mold in the shape of mickey mouse that someone tried to draw cinderella on i i can i can actually picture that because of the amount of garbage i've seen in toy stores yeah and they made one of for their apparently their villain series they made a runaway brain mickey figure so they're they're kind you can get it for Twenty ninety nine on eBay. <laughs> of course, that's that's wild. So there is finally runaway brain merchandise. Yes, might be the only piece of merch out there, but it is. But you know, we've seen that, like especially with the success of these Mickey shorts, that Disney is willing to be more experimental with it. So maybe, maybe we might not see this particular iteration of Mickey, but maybe we'll see Mickey in more experimental outlets in the future. Or, because you've mentioned copyright, the Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse is entering the public domain in 2024. So obviously Disney's going to want to use Mickeys they do own, so maybe we'll see the Monster Mickey come back. Maybe. I'm really curious to see where that ends up. I don't I don't know how close Disney let it get in the past before lobbying for an extension. That's the thing. I feel like if they were going to do it, they feel like they'd have to start now. Yeah. 
Because it's January 1st, 2024 is when he would enter the public domain. Yeah, so, you know, maybe maybe they let that lapse. I mean, they're not really doing a whole lot with Steamboat Willie. Yeah, because it's, it's only that iteration of Mickey Mouse. Like, the other more modern ones, like, yeah. they still own it. Because, I mean, because copyright law is is just right. the worst but maybe we'll see maybe we'll see a runaway brain renaissance now that disney is forced to use it right we we don't have a choice we have to make runaway brain too the farther we get closer we'll get to that being like the only mickey they can use for a while i want to see what happens when runaway brain is the public domain one you know it'll you know it'll show up again at that point because it, it doesn't seem like Disney's going to be willing to... It doesn't seem Disney's interested in lobbying for this, so we could see our first instance of Disney in the public domain in three years. Can't wait for my live-action remake of Steamboat Willie shot on my iPhone. 100%. That is it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for talking about this. But before we go, is there anything you would like to plug, Lucas? Sure. If you think my rambling voice is decent, you can see it in written form at www.primagames.com. We don't really publish books anymore, but we do lots of articles. And also, we're still publishing a book. If you have purchased the limited run games uh, KO edition of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, there will be a physical guide, and I wrote it. It's weird to plug it because you can't buy it anymore, but it's going to be a thing. It's fine. (laughs) So when does it come out? Um, No idea whatsoever. I mean, limited run, their whole thing is like they sell their pre-orders, figure out how many they're going to make, and then produce them afterwards. So it's probably going to be a while before those actually show up. Yeah, that's fair. Because is the digital one, is the digital version of Scott Pilgrim even out It yet? is, yeah. So you, It is? Okay. And I have played it more than I ever want to now and ever wanted to before, and I will never touch it again. Once I, like, left my game journalism stint, I just, like, I anything related to video games, I'm just like, huh? Question marks, question marks, question marks. <laughs> that's better than all of it being in your head constantly swimming around every day. That, yeah, that is a great point. <laughs> um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Aiden Simons. Uh, you can follow this podcast at Disney Vaultcast. Um, you, you can also rate us five stars on iTunes if you want. That would be swell. And I will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>